Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given in the local listening area. Today's show features Doug Barry and his presentation at the Catholic Men's Fellowship Conference in April 2011. And now, Doug Barry. That's why I say this is our inspiration. Because this is the act of love above all acts of love. And the faithfulness of our Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross, her love for Jesus, her love for God's will. When Gabriel, the angel, St. Gabriel, came to Our Lady and told her, this is God's plan. And her answer was, yes. Uh, totally yours. Her totus to us. I am totally yours. Her fiat. That was her act of love that said, for the sake of God's will and the salvation of the world, I will assist in this plan of salvation. Do we imitate that? Do we know that love? Gentlemen, if we are not tuned in, we are not going to hear this from God. And this talk and all the other talks today will fall on deaf ears. Each one of us, on our own, must look inside and ask the question, am I tuning into God? If you came here because your buddy brought you here, and you leave here, but you didn't really want to come, and you're driving home, and he says, so what'd you think, man, what'd you think? Ah, it's okay, I didn't really get much out of it. My question is, what did you put into it? So man-to-man challenge in Christian brotherhood love here. Man-to-man, brothers in arms, as the phrase goes. What are we putting into this day and days like this? Have we asked God today, will you touch my heart, Lord? And show me where you want me to be more of a man than I should, more than I am. Have we asked God right this moment, is something being said to me right now, Lord, through this day, through this talk, through the previous talks, through the future talks, that you want me to really hear in my heart, are we tuning in? I'm doing this like, like, you know, for those of you who remember when we tuned radios in, instead of boop, now it's push a button, seek, scan, and so forth. But tuning in to find that signal. Because if that signal is staticky, we don't quite hear, do we? Think of a ham radio operator out there somewhere in the wilderness. And they're kind of tuning something in. They're trying to pick up one of those mysterious signals bouncing around the atmosphere. I've always got a kick out of that. What an amazing image. Signals bouncing around the atmosphere. We can't see them. We can't touch them. But we can pick them up when we tune in the radio. Think of that. Tuning it in. Trying to hear. And then the static. Something's there. I'm not too sure. But it takes effort on our part to keep tuning until we hear it clearly. And when we do, and it comes through loud and clear, boom, it can knock us over. Our Blessed Mother has been trying to get us to tune in for a long time. The second talk today, I'm going to get into more on that. But I will say that God Almighty has created us as men already prepared to tune in. It's up to us of our own free will. Gentlemen, we are the most powerful men alive as Catholic men. This this is my reason for saying that. Number one, as men, as I already mentioned, we're fighters, protectors. We're actually natural lovers, too. Men like to look at the lover part as a Casanova lover. Men like to think, whether the suave debonair, I love you. I am your man, and you will melt in my arms. I'm sure you guys talk to your wives that way, don't you? I tried that one time. I came home. I walked in the room. True story. My wife's in the kitchen. I walked in. I slammed the door. I said, your man is home. And she turned and looked at me and she said, and you better go out and come back in normal because you're scaring the children. True story. 
But gentlemen, we are lovers. Now, guys, you misguide that. If you do not train that understanding of the man being the true lover, then what we find are all these men out there who think that the more women they sleep with, the better lover they are. That's called destructive, disordered, disruptive, twisted idea of a lover. This is the lover we are to be. The commitment, the sacrifice, everything is summed up right here. The selflessness, the dying to self right here. Men are fighters, protectors, defenders. We think oftentimes it's what we see out there on the hockey rink where you know, the gloves come off and they're punching away and guys are cheering. In the boxing ring where we're trying to knock somebody's head out, trying to knock them unconscious. That's the fighter men are. No, this is the fighter. You tell me this is not the most powerful act of spiritual combat in the world? This is Almighty God saying to His divine Son, the second person of the Trinity, go into the world, do battle with the demons, free the people, atone for sin, die on that cross, take that hill. Take that hill. The most powerful act of combat ever summed up right there for us men to imitate, to do battle. Because we are made for battle, gentlemen. Men are fighters already. And I'll even go one step further. Pope Leo XIII, who died in 1910, I believe, or right about there, 1905 maybe, he wrote in the 1800s an encyclical called Citizens, or excuse me, Christians as Citizens. Christians as Citizens. Don't ask me to say it in Latin, I will slaughter the language. Christians as Citizens. And he states in there this, Christians are born for combat. Christians are born for combat. So we know the popes have written this. The church has taught this since the early centuries, that the life of a Christian in this world is warfare. So we're already made for this. We're already fighters. There's already a spiritual battle at hand. And as men, it's in our nature to defend, to protect, to get in front. When your kids get injured, who do they run to normally for comfort? Normally, they'll go to mom. Mom's tender. Normally. Most mothers, hopefully, are tender. Not all are, but most are. When, uh, when a child needs protection, they'll normally go to dad. I mean, dad's got a different voice even than mom. Mom can yell out the window, Jimmy, it's dinner time! And Jimmy can say to his friends, oh, that's my mom, I got ten more minutes. Dad can yell out the window, Jimmy! Every kid in the neighborhood goes home. <laughs> even if they're not named Jimmy. There's something about dad. And if we stood up that way, when that man comes over to your house and wants to date your daughter, he better meet you first. He better meet you first. And every time he comes, if you are home, he better meet dad. And dad better look at him in the eyes. And, let, and I know, I got a teenage daughter. She's almost, I tell you, she's almost 19. Any guy comes near the house, they talk to me for a long time. I'm talking six weeks. I tell them, hey, the first six months of dating, this is how it's going to go. It's going to be here at my house. I'm going to be in the room. I'll be on the couch right here. You, my young friend, maybe, will be here on the other side of me. And do you know where my daughter's going to be? Uh, will she be on the other side? No, she'll be in the next room. Are you kidding? That man should have a healthy fear of you as the head of that home. What is that? That's called protection, defending. That's not just funny and cute, gentlemen. That is letting anybody know who comes near your children that you are the first line of defense. As a Catholic man, we're fighters, we're natural protectors, defenders, and so forth, right? Okay, we're lovers. We're actually to be mentors as well. And I don't have time to get into the mentoring part right now, but I do have some CDs and DVDs on it up there. But I will say this, gentlemen, 
that as a mentor, our job is not just to say to our children, okay, when it comes to learning how to pray, go talk to your mother. She's better at it than me. And that's what a lot of guys will do. My wife is wonderful at teaching the children about prayer and about spirituality. She fulfills a certain part of that aspect. I fulfill a different part. I must teach them about prayer and spirituality as well from the perspective of the Father. And don't forget, gentlemen, if you have been given the gift, as I have, to be called a father, know that we are following in the footsteps of a different father, of our Heavenly Father. What an honorable title to have and to never take lightly. If we drop the ball as men, Catholic men, then we become the most dangerous men alive. We are the most powerful men because as men we're fighters, protectors, lovers, mentors, teachers, and so forth. And as Catholic men we have the fullness of the faith, which means as a Catholic man I can lead my family to the sacraments. As a Catholic man I can defend and fight for them spiritually. As a Catholic man I can pray the rosary for them because I understand the power of the rosary. I understand what this can do. And my heart and my prayer given to God for my family makes me a powerful force against the enemy, against Satan, who seeks to destroy my family. Gentlemen, the devil is real. He wants to destroy your family and mine. He wants to chew them up and spit them out in hell for all eternity. And you and I as men have been given a unique and particular role. And I'll close with that story in one second. But as a most powerful man with the prayer and the sacraments, devotion to the Blessed Mother, devotion to our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament and on the cross. And you know what, gentlemen? That makes me the most powerful man alive. But if I drop that ball, I become the most dangerous man alive. Because then I take the fullness of the faith, that which will save souls, and I, I ignore it, I neglect it, or abuse it. And then I'm not fighting for their souls. My fighting becomes destructive. It becomes misguided. It becomes centered. And then I become the most dangerous man. And I'll close with this story to illustrate this. I know we don't always hear this sort of talk. And I know as men we're not always challenged that we have a job to do as men to teach, to love, and it begins in our home. We all love superhero movies. We all love the Jason Bourne and the John Wayne and the Bruce Willis and the Schwarzenegger movies and whatever we've grown up with. Charles Bronson to James Bond, though James Bond has serious issues with women that are not right. But we all know, gentlemen, the spy movies and action movies are popular for a reason, because men love the idea of running in there at the last second with the dramatic music and shutting off that button that could blow up that nuclear device and destroy half of the world. And you know what? None of us are probably going to do that. But we eat it up. Why? Because we're made for that kind of adventure, that kind of battle, that kind of drama. But it's summed up in this. I am not a superhero in the eyes of the world. But there are six worlds that I am the hero of. You are the hero of someone's world. Your wife, your children, if you're a priest, it's your parishioners. The holier man we are, the more powerful man we are. It's not in here that we are strongest. It's in here and in here. And what we do with things like this, that's what makes us so powerful. Last story to close with. I had a priest approach me on this subject when I started Radix. This was 18 years, 19 years ago. My wife and I were pregnant with our first child. And he looked at me. And this is a short version of the story. The, the long version is on a DVD up there on my table. I'm not trying to be a salesman, guys, but this stuff I think is helpful. And I hope and pray it can benefit you and others. 
But, it, but the story is, the full story is up there. But here's the short version. He looked at me and he said, do you pray with your wife? I said, yes. He said, are you pregnant with your first child? Yes. Do you bless your wife? What do you mean? With holy water. Do you, bless, do you pray over her and bless her? Well, no. Do you bless the womb and the child in the womb? Well, no. Why not? Man to man. He said, why not? Do you bless yourself with holy water when you go into the church? Yeah, I clock in. He said, why not do it at home? Why not sprinkle holy water in your home? Why not put a drop of holy water on your finger and trace the sign of the cross above the doorway and say, in the name of Jesus, anything evil in this home, you get out. Why not sprinkle it in your room? Why not let that sacramental affect the spiritual life of that home? I said, well, and all I get in the back of my head, guys, I heard one voice. I lifted weights. I used to compete in powerlifting. I've done martial arts. I've run two 26-mile marathons, one of them up Pikes Peak Mountain in Colorado Springs. I love the intensity. I love the tough workouts. I built a camp in Lincoln, Nebraska called Camp Gargano to try to help strengthen Catholic men. It's like a military-style boot camp. I did this because I'm into all that kind of stuff, and I appreciate it and recognize that it's got some good stuff to it. But when he told me to pick up a bottle of holy water, that became the heaviest thing in the world I'd ever touched. And so he looked at me, and he put his finger up, and he said this. He said, look... He said, Satan is trying to destroy your family. There's no question. Because, gentlemen, you and I may not get a home invasion ever in our lives. Some bad guy may never break into your house or mine. But every day that we live, the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil are trying to get into your life and mine and your family's life. There's no question. You cannot escape that truth. It is a reality. So he said to me, Satan's trying to destroy your family. You are the head of that house. You are the first line of defense. What are you doing about it? He said it with a smile, but he said it with an intensity and that finger in the air. I'll never forget it. So I went home that night with a bottle of holy water because he provided it. And being the brave, courageous man that I was, I waited till my wife went to bed. And then I stood in my living room of my little apartment and I sprinkled holy water here and there. And this was my prayer. Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I got to do something. Now, my father didn't know how to teach me this, but he should have been the one to teach me this. He didn't know how. But thank God this priest came along. And so I went to the door where my wife was sleeping, the bedroom. I opened the door and I couldn't go over there. He told me what to do. Put a drop on your finger, trace the sign of the cross on her forehead. Trace the sign of the cross on her womb over the baby. I couldn't walk in there, guys. I was scared to death. I wouldn't go in the door. So I thought if I fling the holy water in the air, some of it's got to hit her. So I flung the holy water and it right across her. And my wife's a very light sleeper and she sat up and looked at me and I froze in the door. And I thought if I don't move, she won't see me. So I froze. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm blessing the apartment with holy water. She said, okay, went back to sleep. I walked out of there. I'm never doing that again, never. <laughs> and you might be thinking to yourself, that's ah, just not me. It's not like, I'm just not my personality. It wasn't mine either. It wasn't me at all. Put me in a weight room, chalk me up, poof, put on the belt, put me under a squat rack. I'm happy. But here, I was scared. So the next morning she, at breakfast, she said, Doug, I had a funny dream last night. I said, what was that, sweetheart? She said, I dripped your blessed apartment with holy water. Oh, well, yes, I was doing that. What was that? Well, yes, I was. Yes, and I admitted it. And you know what, gentlemen? She looked at me then or a little later, and she said, I realize not only are you trying to be a man and put a roof over the head and food on the table, you're trying to take care of us spiritually. And her face lit up. And when that happened, because she's the woman, she's my number one inspiration in this world, my chest, that's right, baby. Yeah, when you married me, you made the right choice. And so when my daughter was born, I blessed my daughter with holy water. And then my son's the same thing. And to this day, gentlemen, 
Very seldom does a day go by when I'm in my physical presence of my family where I do not bless them. My sons are this tall now. My 17-year-old walks up. I put a drop of water on my finger. I trace it on his forehead. I give him a hug and a kiss on the cheek, and I say, may God bless you. May his angels keep you safe. May the devil stay far away from you in the name of Jesus. I make up the prayer. I speak from the heart. I encourage you to do it. I've had women come up to me years after a talk like this and say in tears that their husband heard the talk, went home and started doing it, and they were thanking me that it even came their way. And all I say is, thank God and thank that priest who had the courage to confront me with it. And gentlemen, I ask you, challenge you, encourage you as a brother to consider the same thing. Bring that type of spirituality into the home. That's the first way how we men cry out against the lies and the deceits in this world. I can't wait to talk to you again this afternoon, gentlemen. God bless you. All right, gentlemen. For my second talk, you know, there's so many things we could address, so many things we'd love to get into. But there's been one thing that's been on my heart so much more over these years than anything else. When I mentioned earlier that it was the influence of the Blessed Mother and my now wife and my, my aunt and my mother that had a huge impact on me, the event about the Blessed Mother that I, that I commented on was Fatima. Now, just a little story about Fatima. Most of you have probably heard of Our Lady of Fatima, how in 1917 the Blessed Mother appeared to three children in Fatima, Portugal. The children were seven-year-old Jacinta, her brother, nine-year-old Francisco, and their cousin, ten-year-old Lucia. Now, the apparitions started May 13, 1917. The children were peasants. They were peasant children. They were in the field watching sheep. They were going about their day-to-day -day life when they saw a couple of flashes of light in the east. And very quickly, this image of a beautiful lady appeared. They didn't know who she was at first. They didn't declare that until much later. They referred to her as the beautiful lady from heaven. She appeared, and she appeared standing on a small cloud. And the cloud was hovering or resting above a small tree called a holm oak tree. She appeared there, and Lucia could see her and listen to her and communicate, talk to her. The little girl Jacinta, the seven-year-old, could see her and hear her, but could not speak to her. Francisco, the nine-year-old boy, couldn't even see her. And when he said, why can't I see this beautiful lady that you're talking about? Lucia asked our lady, why can't Francisco see you? And Mary said, he must pray the rosary. He began to pray very fervently. Why wouldn't you? There's your sister and your cousin saying they're seeing this beautiful lady from heaven. She, he begins to pray the rosary, and his tuning improved. Gentlemen, notice that. Nine-year-old boy in 1917 was not able to be in tune enough at this moment with something so miraculous happening. It's very easy for us, this is what I get from that, very easy for us to go through life with the attitude that I don't get anything out of it. I, I have a hard time with my faith. I struggle with understanding this or that. I go back to what I said in the previous talk. We've got to work on our tuning all the time. It's no different than marriage. Anybody married longer than a week knows that if we're not constantly working on the relationship, interacting, communicating, not just 
Well, I showed up today, didn't I? Not sitting at the table with one eye on the TV and the other eye on the food. Not sitting there with the newspaper between us and our spouse. There has to be eye-to-eye contact where we can. There has to be heart-to-heart contact constantly in order for us to have a well-tuned marriage where we are hearing each other. There's no doubt about that. So here's this little boy, nine years old. He begins to pray the rosary fervently, and he can see her now. And the messages were astounding. I won't go into all of it because there's, there's, there's a few different things I want to address in this. But the messages were astounding. She appeared six times over six months. She appeared on the 13th of each month except for August. She was going to appear on the 13th of August. But the government, which was somewhat of a socialist, communist type government at the time, kidnapped the children the day of the apparition. They said, we're going to take the kids to the apparition site. What they did is they took them to jail, and they threatened to boil them to death in oil if the children did not reveal the secrets that this lady from heaven was giving them. Well, they said they weren't going to talk. The lady has told us not to say these things yet. Then we'll boil you. We'll kill you. Boil you in oil. And the boy, the nine-year-old boy, stood up and said, go ahead. You'll just send us to heaven. Nine. He puts us to shame sometimes, doesn't he? The courage of that boy. So they drug the little girl out. Well, one of them, I think it was the little girl first, made her scream. The other two didn't give in. Then they drug the next one out, made him scream. Here's Lucia left in there alone. They drag her out. They put him in jail for a day or so. And then the people get upset and the government has to let him go. The Blessed Mother appeared two days later to them. And she told them this. She had told them that she was going to work a miracle in October to show the world who she was and what this was about. But after the children had been arrested in August, she told them, because you were arrested, God is very displeased. Therefore, the miracle will not be as great as it was going to be. So the response of the people had a lot to do with God and his response to us. Our response impacts what God does. We underestimate that. But it's clearly shown here as it has in the history of our church. God is watching you and me right now and how we are responding to events such as this. An event like this is an opportunity of grace. Great, great grace. And grace is necessary for salvation. Grace is necessary, the grace of God is necessary for me to do this, or this, or even speak. It is God's grace that we breathe, or that our heart beats. The grace of God must never be taken for granted. Opportunities like this are awesome. I believe that God is giving us many opportunities for grace in our time right now. Grace for forgiveness. Opportunities like this where confessions can be heard where we have a couple of excellent popes, John Paul II. I'm not bashing the other popes at all. Heavens, no. But John Paul II, what a man. Traveled the globe like no other pope had. Really took it to the world, didn't he? Because he knew the media wasn't going to be fair. So he went out himself. Started World Youth Days. World Youth Day coming up in Spain. EWTN, we're going to be going over there to cover it. They're expecting over 2 million young people. All because John Paul II, what a great leader. 
What an opportunity of grace God has given us. And now Benedict XVI, same thing. Incredible opportunities. How are we responding? Even right now in our hearts. Gentlemen, the apparitions spoke about world events that were going on currently and that would come. This was a time, 1917, it was nearing the end of World War I. World War I ended in 1918. This was a time where the world was experiencing a war like they had never experienced. It was considered the Great War, the war to end wars. It was the war where we saw the first tank. We saw mustard gas and trench warfare to such a degree, the death was enormous. By the end of World War I, the death toll was near 22 to 25 million. But she, Our Lady, in July of 1917, appeared to the children. It was on the 13th again. If you ever notice the statues or images of Our Lady of Fatima, her hands are folded like this. She normally has her head tilted a bit. And there's normally a crown, a beautiful crown on her head. And you'll almost always see the cloud under her feet. Then you'll know that's Our Lady of Fatima. She said to her, the children on July 13th, I wish to show you something. And then she opened her hands. Light came from her hands and pierced the ground. And the ground disappeared. And the three children were standing there looking into hell. And the Blessed Mother showed them this vision. And Lucia, who lived into her 90s and died just a few years back as a nun, wrote about this. And to paraphrase, she said, we were staring into a sea of fire. We saw countless souls burning inside and out. Hundreds of hideous animalic creatures, which we knew were demons. They were bouncing around like burning embers in a fire. There was a wave of hate that overwhelmed them. And Mary ended the vision. It only lasted a few moments. They said, had she not told us that we would be taken to heaven one day, we would have died from fright. But it was the grace of God through Our Lady at that moment that kept us from dying. Consequently, Jacinta and Francisco, the two youngest, did die within two years of the conclusion of the apparitions. They were taken to heaven. They were told they would, and they did. But on July 13th, when this happened, Mary ended the vision, and she said in a very sad voice, a solemn voice, this is the place where poor sinners go who have nobody to pray for them or make sacrifices for them. Due to time constraints, today's talk will continue next week at the same time. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.